grad scientists and where to find them. Seriously misunderstood creatures. You know, I'm something of a scientist myself. Hello, 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 and welcome to Grad Scientists and Where to Find Them. Another uh, episode number eight, I think. Uh, today, I am with two wonderful and uh, magnificent researchers. First, I have Haley. Haley, hello. Hi, thanks for having me. Can you tell us a bit more about yourself? Sure. So, I'm from Ontario, but I've been here at McGill. I did my undergrad here for four years, and I'm currently in my first and last year of my master's program in the pharmacology department. Pretty nice. And then I have Mihai. Hello. Hi. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Can then you tell us a bit more as you said? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, actually, that's a very similar story. I'm mm-hmm. I'm from Ottawa. So I'm an Ontario. I'm from Ontario. I did my undergrad at McGill in chemistry, and now I'm doing a two-year master's in chemistry as well. All right. Cool. Very nice. So. Who wants to start talking about the, their stuff, their research? Go for it. Okay, all right. I've been, <laughs> I've been chosen. There's no choice. All right. Okay, so um, I'm in the Matt Harrington lab in the chemistry department. And kind of the focus, the main focus of our research is um, studying marine mussels and how they stick to surfaces. <laughs> and usually when I say marine mussels, people look at me a bit like, I'm a little crazy, you know, because they've never thought about a muscle other than the eating context, right? Which yeah. is perfectly normal. You know, don't feel bad if, <laughs> if that's what you think about muscles. So I'm trying to think what it has to do with chemistry, but I guess... That's right. I'm going to get there. But yeah, uh, a long time ago, whether... I don't know if it was 50 or 100 years ago, but some people, you know, in the process of collecting muscles, they thought, hey, wait a minute. These muscles are really good at sticking to wet surfaces and they live in some pretty horrible conditions you know if you've ever been to the atlantic coast or the pacific coast or whatever coast you want there's waves crashing on the surface there's jagged rocks and there's just these muscles hundreds thousands of muscles just sticking to these rocks and sticking to them so well if any of us had to do that we would drown (laughs) i don't think we'd be very good at sticking to anything Yeah. yeah so that's kind of one of our driving questions that the question is what is the chemistry that drives muscle adhesion and how can we kind of exploit that to make better and smarter materials. So one thing that muscles are really good at and you might not think about it is they have the appropriate kind of chemistry to do something that we call kind of self-healing. You know, let's say you have a phone case and you drop it and it gets a little scuffed. Well, maybe if you had a self-healing material over time, kind of that material would kind of flow back into itself and you wouldn't see that scuff anymore, you know? So that's, Mm. that's kind of like an everyday application of what we could do by better understanding this muscle chemistry. Very cool. Yeah. It's not so bad. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you, how do you um, go about testing all that? Do you actually like import marine mussels and then examine them? (laughs) Yeah. So we actually get, we don't actually import them. So a lot of our lab works on a, the Atlantic muscle, the blue muscle, basically, and we just get it from the market. You know, like if someone's mm-hmm. going by Provigo that day, like <laughs> we're getting mussels, you know, or mm-hmm. at Water Market or what have you. And then there's some people in our lab that also work with uh, some more invasive type of species, like the zebra mussel, which is everyone has heard of, mm-hmm. and the quagga mussel, which is like very similar kind of genetically. And, you know, they're both kind of a pest in like the Great Lakes waterways. Okay. Could it yeah. change anything if they've been removed from their sort of natural habitat for a long time before you study them? Do those adhesive properties maybe change, do you think? 
Yeah, so it, the way they adhere is to something that we call the muscle byssus. And it's kind of an, well, they're basically these really thin threads that they kind of stick to surfaces. So I would say there's always a slight variability. Like, I don't think one thread is exactly the same to another abyssal thread that they produce. Hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. When they're, when they're making threads on their own, of their own volition, they're typically pretty consistent. Yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of nice. And like, we can also make, like, force them to make threads. Like, you inject them with, you know, like calcium chloride, torture, <laughs> and uh, it'll force them to ex like release a thread, you know, but those yeah. aren't, those, there's a lot of variability in them and they're not like as strong. So we try and let them do their own thing. We try to encourage them to make their own threads. Hmm. It's a very healthy environment. Okay. So it's like threads that they just create and then it allows them to, like where, where does it actually come from, this sticky property? Right, that's, here, here's the problem behind the whole thing. I wish I could tell you, oh yes, it's a singular protein, but it's this whole orchestra of proteins kind of interacting at the same time. And you know, there's some that give the byssus elasticity and there's some that form a really strong self-healing coating. And there's others that are used to actually stick to the substrate, whether that's rock or sand or whatever. So it's a lot of proteins kind of working together and I don't know, forming at the exact same time in like perfect microenvironments. Like it's really... It's a really complex question to answer, really. I wish I could give you like a really good answer, but it's really difficult. Yeah. It kind of makes me think of spiders and like the sticky spider web. Well, there you go. That's a, that's a whole nother example of kind of like biomimicry, you know, like people, I mean, to this day are still obsessed with how do spiders spin their, their silk, you know, yeah, and like how do yeah. they get like that really exquisite crystalline structure, you know, and yeah. we've been trying to use that in materials as well. So it's kind of the same thing driving our kind of research as well. How how can we replicate this in the best way possible and use it to like help humanity further itself? It's interesting because it sounds a bit more like an engineering problem. Yeah, honestly, if you came to our lab, you'd look at it and you'd say, this is this looks like a biology lab. It doesn't really look like you guys do too much chemistry. Yeah. Like I do a lot of uh, expressing the proteins in E. coli, you know? So oh, yeah. at the moment, if that was the only thing on my CV, you'd say, okay, you're definitely not a chemist. Like, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. But uh yeah, I think it's very multidisciplinary. And I think a lot of research today is moving towards yeah, that, which is sure. really cool. 100%. It'll be fun to see it, to be able to say in a few day, a few years, uh, oh, look at this phone case. I got <laughs> oh. made a muscle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, that'd be really cool if we get there, you know. I'll, I'll come back on the podcast if that's the case. <laughs> I will welcome you for sure. Do you, can you still eat muscles? After Honestly, I see... The work you do with them? <laughs> after I see them, like, getting dissected and... I, did, I wasn't a huge fan before, and now I'm even less of a fan. Like, okay. I don't want to ruin it for anyone else, but like, mm -hmm. if you love muscles as a food, like, stick to eating it. Don't do muscle research. It's really, it's a whole different ballgame. At least there's not the emotional component of working with animals that some people feel. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. There's much yeah. less attachment. Like, I think if you ask, mm -hmm. I personally don't have to dissect them and do stuff to them, but if you ask anyone in the lab who does that, I feel like the first one, it was kind of like, oh man, like, poor muscle, but yeah. now it's like, God damn it, like, <laughs> you smell so bad when you decompose and, like, yeah, that, you deserve yeah, this. Yeah. yeah. It's much easier. I was just wondering, do you ever have to sort of synthesize in a chemistry perspective some of these properties you're investigating and then test their adhesive quality? Like, like reverse engineering? Sort of? Yeah. Yeah, well, basically, that, I would say that's really the end goal is kind okay. of understanding this chemistry. And then, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's the most efficient route to just either be growing mussels and harvesting their protein or mm. growing them recombinantly in E. coli. That's not mm. the best way to go. The best way to go would be kind of taking like the unique facets of that chemistry and incorporating it into like a polymer, for example, yeah. that you could mass produce. So I would say, yeah, like that, that's kind of what we're shooting for. 
I think it'd be really impractical to have to get it from live species all the time. You know, <laughs> yeah. making phone cases out of mussels, you have to kill thousands of mussels. <laughs> It'd be a disaster. Well, for the invasive species ones, maybe yeah, that maybe, would be a maybe good the solution. zebra mussels deserve it. Yeah, they've had it too good. <laughs> All right, Haley, maybe now it's your turn. Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. My subject matter isn't quite as fun since I work in a pain lab. Ooh. So, um, but I do think it's a really important subject to investigate, which is one of the reasons why I chose this lab. And because if you think about it, what often brings someone to the doctor is some kind of discomfort. So there's a pain element to pretty much every disease. And that was what was the initial draw. But my project specifically focuses on investigating pain associated with osteoarthritis. And if there's any potential sex specific mechanisms to this pain. So I work with rats to do this uh, initially. And we can induce osteoarthritis with a chemical, which will degrade cartilage. And then we can assess pain behavior with all kinds of different techniques. And after that, we process the tissue. Um, I've looked at the joint itself, but currently my project is sort of geared more towards the central nervous system now and how chronic pain over time can cause changes in the spinal cord. And I'm looking at disinhibition. Um, in the spinal cord because normally we have this balance of excitation and inhibition, but right now the pain field is sort of moving towards this idea that in chronic pain states, there's more of this or more less of the inhibitory, therefore more excitatory um, <laughs> transmission to the brain, which sort of explains the hypersensitivity in these in these conditions. So like so instead of like sort of having, Whoever is feeling that pain, being habituated to it, it just gets overexcited. It so kind of, yeah. So normally, you know, you have these interneurons and descending neurons from the brain that modulate all the sensory information they're receiving from the periphery. And right now we're thinking that these inhibitory interneurons are not doing their job as efficiently. So that could lead to more signal getting to the brain. Yeah. How do you how do you assess pain in a rat? Yeah, so there's lots of different ways. Um, the three main things that we look at are mechanical pain. So we have these little fibers that we apply to the animal itself. And if it's in pain, it'll lift its paw really fast and like sort of stomp on the ground. Um, we also assess pain to cold stimuli. So we use acetone. So you guys mm. might not do your nails, but uh, if you ever do, you feel that sort of tingling uh, of acid, like nail polish remover. Yeah, so that's basically what we're doing to the rats. And then we also kind of have this apparatus with a glass floor and we shine um, concentrated light source that increases in time and when again the rat lifts their foot we we stop the light source and it's a measurement of how long they can withstand that that heat source and yeah those are the three main that assays that we use in our lab but there are a few other ones as well so i have a question about that first method you talked about mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is it is it like automated is it something that you have to do manually like you said like you put these sensors on 
and then you detect like well you know how fast the rat jerks yeah. its paw for example yeah. so do you have to process that data manually or like are we at the point where we can use something like a computer software to do that for us unfortunately it's very very manual <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> when I have these shame. we all sort of at the end of the semester we always go to a spa because our necks are so sore because the rats are above our heads um, on oh. these little mesh platforms and then through oh, the mesh holes we apply these fibers to their paws so for a couple hours weekly on average we are poking them above us <laughs> never consider the geometry of yeah. doing this would be so and complicated totally and there's two different facilities where we've worked and one is much cleaner and smells much better but just just having the different heights in the lab benches and the chairs makes our lives much more complicated and I just remembered actually another assay we do as well is a treadmill assay. So I make the little rats run on this treadmill and speed it up and sometimes they fall off. But uh, and it's a, basically a measurement that's more realistic to humans because it's going upstairs that hurts their joints, not just sitting and putting something cold. So it's sort of an assessment of the pain in motion. So that's another thing we assess. Yeah. And so how does all these assessments of pain, how do they relate to how do you say it again? Osteoarthritis. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a form of arthritis. Yeah. Okay. It's an excellent question in terms of pain research as a whole. There is some disagreements on how effective these assays are um, at replicating pain in humans. But basically, for the purposes of our project, we're looking more at the cellular level in the spinal cord, like I was saying, and it's basically to say something was happening to the rat's behavior and this corresponds with these changes in the spinal cord. Whether it's the same type of pain that's felt by humans isn't exactly what we're trying to measure, but it's, yeah, probably not super accurate. Although the fiber thing is assessed in clinics on humans okay. as well, so. Oh, yeah, I was going to ask, like, how, like, is is this ready soon to be eventually transcribed to research on humans, or is mm -hmm. this just very um, experimental on animals so far? No, there's a lot of pain research that happens in, in humans as well, but most of those projects take into account the psychosocial aspects of pain, mm -hmm. because right. definitely... If you're stressed, you, something that's a, maybe not a normally painful stimulus might now seem painful. So questionnaires are implicated in human research in unison with these mechanical assays. So You can't really make a rat fill out a questionnaire. Exactly. <laughs> but you can do depression tests, though. Um, How do so, you do But we don't, but there are different, very sad um, yeah. assessments of... <laughs> Depression and anxiety in rats, but one of the more common ones is the tail suspension test. So you basically yeah. dangle the rats upside down and they're going to struggle and move their legs and more depressed rats will sort of give up earlier and trying to <laughs> rescue themselves. Okay. So, yeah. Well, all in the name of science. I, I warned you that this was not as happy yeah. of a topic. We did it to ourselves. So we yeah. shouldn't have pushed you. Well, okay, then I'll have one last uh, that just came to my mind because Tal, who did one of the episodes, uh, I don't know, two or three episodes yeah, earlier, yeah. he does a study on mice. Mm -hmm. So I was just wondering why I choose rats. Like, what's the yeah. what's the difference between the two that... Or is there even a difference or it's just an arbitrary choice? Well, my PI is very, very adamant about the difference between rats and mice. 
We also are doing a collaboration with cat tissue and also sometimes um, um, monkeys. But in terms of just rats and mice, the spinal cord circuitry is more similar to humans. So that would be the, the short answer. Okay. But in mice, there's more transgenic lines available. So for certain types of research, it's more feasible in mice. It just depends. But my PI is a believer in rats. Because <laughs> okay. you're not you're not that much interested in like uh, genes and, and stuff like that that it would have to do. My with personal it. project, no. But there are people in our lab that are collaborating with other genetic labs and are breaching that uh, that boundary. Yeah. Okay. Well, perfectly, uh, perfectly in the times. Uh, oh, nice. Do you want to add something? Cool. If you have another question, I don't really have a question so much as something I'd like to add to kind of to follow up on your response to mm-hmm. Mel's question. Mm-hmm. And as in like why why certain species, you know, and bringing this back a little bit to mussels, you know, like the marine mussel has, although they both have like bissel threads to stick to things, marine mussels and zebra mussels, it's a completely different mechanism. And the tissue has completely different morphology, mm. you know, so that they're often, well, they're, they've evolved separately, right? And there's different pathways that kind of achieve the same kind of thing. So I think that's also kind of interesting when you do, for example, research on pain, like a lot of animals have diverged a long time ago, right? And as a result, they may have evolved their own like separate mechanisms for achieving the same purpose. Yeah, asking the same questions but potentially getting different answers, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which in some <laughs> cases, yeah, a little frustrating, but yeah. very possible. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We do so much research and just to just to find that uh, the things don't apply. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's all for nothing. No, no, it always leads to something, and yeah. and negative and negative results are still results, right? Sure. We know what for sure. didn't work, and if only we could publish. Them. I was gonna say <laughs> yeah. now we just need a journal that's for yeah. negative results only or something. I'd be a star. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't that exist on somewhere like the the journal of negative results? Is it peer reviewed though? Like, is it an official? No, I don't even know if it exists. Oh, I'm okay. saying like maybe like it should be something. Like I've that. heard people talking about it. Yeah, I'm not sure if there was yeah. ever anything done about that. Know. But like that would be cool as a concept. Yeah, yeah. Well, we bring it up if in you want to make some money, million so dollar idea proposed right here. You heard it first. <laughs> if you haven't heard it before, now's the time. All right, time to move on to special topic of this episode. This time is going to be a little. Uh, Maybe a little less fun, I would say, than uh, the the previous uh, the previous one. So we're going to talk about sort of the bad side of student research pressures and you know things that don't necessarily go the way we want, because that's also that you know it's not all pink and uh, and mm-hmm. and beautiful. Yeah. Um, so maybe what's let's just ask with a very general question: like, what's the biggest issue or challenge that you've faced so far? <laughs> I can definitely uh, jump in on that one. Okay, let's hear it. It's it's kind of general when it encompasses a lot. But for me, the biggest frustration, I guess, would be the word is I joined, um, I started my master's to do research and I love asking questions and that was my passion. And it turned into 80% of my time and energy dealing with drama. So that was definitely the biggest downside is that this wasn't what I signed up for. Spicy episode. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I selected my uh, (laughs) my guests very well for that one. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, top that. (laughs) Okay. I'll I'll do you one better. Okay. Uh, I came to grad school, you know, kind of looking for a bit of a career change in chemistry. Like, I I guess I had been... 
I don't want to say trained, but all my research experiences leading up to grad school were kind of physical chemistry. Mm. And I was like, you know what? Like, I remember when I came to, to McGill to do chemistry in undergrad and I was just like, you know, I want to be like a synthetic chemist. Like I want to make molecules. Mm. Like that's kind of what got me excited when I came to McGill, but I just never went down that road. So I was like, you know what? Like now I'm starting my master's. Now is the time, you know, like now let's do a career change. Other people have done it. And so I tried to do that and I joined the lab and it didn't work out. And in fact, it didn't work out so well that I left the lab. So oh. that was so that was that was kind of an exciting journey. Yeah. But uh, I'd say we're a bit more stable now in terms of uh, job security and mm-hmm. like doing work and stuff. So, so you mean when you mean you left the lab, like the lab where you were doing something else, and now you're doing the your muscle research or the lab where you did muscle research was the one you left? Yeah. So. I switched lots. So I basically switched supervisors, okay. basically, because at McGill Chemistry, they're actually really nice about that. When you show up, they say, hey, you know what? Like, sometimes issues with profs and students happen. And just remember at the end of the day that it's the chemistry department that has hired you and you're doing your master's for, not your professor. Yeah. So if something, like, does go wrong, there you can fall back and try and find something else. Whereas at other universities, you kind of talk to one professor and you get in. And if you have to jump ship for whatever reason halfway through... You know, it's a bit of a trickier situation, right? Because I don't think the department necessarily will have your back and help you. Mm-hmm. But here I was really fortunate to have that opportunity. And now I'm kind of doing material slash physical chemistry again. So that, <laughs> that career change didn't really happen. But sometimes you got to make a mistake to, I don't know, learn like a good life lesson. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's still all learning in the long run. And mm-hmm. it's skills that are transferable. If... It's true. But it's the same thing in terms of switching labs. Uh, recently I've, I've spoken to a lot of people, it seems that are really unhappy with their current situations and want to switch and they aren't all as fortunate as you. Mm. Some had to totally restart so they couldn't use those transferable skills. Others wanted to leave, but had put a lot of time and energy into their research And yes, the department hires you, but all your research is your supervisors. It's not yours. So they couldn't take it with them and get credit for it if they left. So there's a lot of, you sort of sometimes have to balance your happiness with with sort of time and energy towards a project or or something you're proud of. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I was, I'm going to say I was pretty fortunate that I decided to leave when I did. Like, it was only two or three months in, mm-hmm. right? So, but if you're doing a PhD, let's say, and it's year two of four or, like, well, three of five or however long PhDs go, like, then it's a much bigger decision. It's a much harder decision to make. It's yeah. like, do I restart? Because as you said, you cannot, I didn't take my research from one lab to the other. I do mm-hmm. a completely different thing now. Yeah. And everything that I did in that lab has been left behind there. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... Because it's different from like, I don't know, any other like uh, working situation oh, where yeah. whatever you're you're doing, if you quit eventually, you still have however long you've done as an experience or that yeah. yet you can like prove for in the future. But here, if you like live, leave in the middle of your degree, you don't have a degree to, right. to say, <laughs> you like, don't have okay, a half to fall back on. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And there's also a weird power dynamic too. Mm-hmm. even if you don't particularly like that supervisor, you still sort of depend on them so if you need a reference letter you want to end things on good terms but i don't think ending things period ever happens really on good terms since they're ending so it's kind of this weird negotiation phase and trying to walk a very very thin line sometimes trying to make the best of 
a bad situation. Yeah. yeah. But to but to add on that, you know, I also think I also think it's important and like this is something that I think like through my experience I've actually learned. It's important to be able to stand back objectively and say like is this a healthy relationship? Mm-hmm. Like is this someone pushing me and wanting me to do my best and yeah, they're a bit harsh sometimes, but I'm better off for it or on the flip side is this something okay, like I feel like this is undue pressure and you know, like the way I'm being treated, I don't think is really fair relative to everyone else and yeah, what have you, you know? So I think, I think that's definitely something that's really good is to be able to remove yourself from the situation for a second and say, okay, if I was like an outsider seeing this interaction, what would I say? Yeah, I totally agree. And, and in my personal situation, when I did that, I didn't think it was in a good place from an outside perspective but I was sort of nearing the end and and had independently worked things out. But now my sort of mission is to sort of stop that cycle from happening again so that someone else doesn't end up in the situation that I ended up in. But that's easier said than done, Yeah, especially with people of power, because it takes a lot to to raise concerns for sure Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. correct me if i'm wrong but uh if if i remember you transferred right from your bachelor's degree from your master's so you so you don't actually have a bachelor's degree right oh yeah no i do Uh, it's true though i did fast track my master's but it's not like fast tracking a phd you still get your bachelor's okay okay so it's not like if you wanted to stop this thing you would have like zero yeah no no, thank god (laughs) yeah 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 but that's like why I said in the earlier part of the interview that it's my first and my last year of yeah. my of my master's because I sort of started it in my undergrad so that as soon as it was done, I had exactly a year to wrap things up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really, see, I'm really jealous of that uh, in some yeah. ways because I heard it initially. I was like, when your master's? Huh? Like, okay, that's pretty cool. But mm-hmm. yeah, you know, like master's nowadays, I mean, I feel like this segues perfectly into my next complaint, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, which is how much time a master's takes or even a PhD yep. takes. Yeah. And yeah, like the one year is, is great, right? But I think for most people, the only way that would be a possibility, right, is if you take like a direct segue from your undergraduate research 100%. to your master's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because mm-hmm. nowadays, I mean, you know, I, w- I would be overjoyed if I could get out of here in two years I mean not that I'm in prison like I'm having an incredibly good time you know (laughs) but you know if I could do it on time and sort of get it over with then I think that would make me really happy but simultaneously I mean I think it's becoming more and more realistic for people to take more time for their graduate degrees yeah Um, definitely because like out of these two years like one year is just you know literally 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 Okay. <laughs> Pure <laughs> reading. Later reading. Exactly. <laughs> it's just reading and formulating a question. Yeah, or learning yeah. the techniques necessary to do your research. Yeah. So it's, that's it's basically what I, what I did in my undergrad to get that sort of head start to okay. hit the ground running. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, on the same topic of of speeding things up, because you know, we're all graduate students. Most of us are working really hard and no matter what goals we set for ourselves, there's no guarantees in research. You could work super hard and still have a project fail or something and not yeah. meet those goals. And there is a student in our lab that I think is on year eight of her PhD because yeah. the first two years basically got thrown in the trash because they just didn't work. And and yeah, there was just you nothing to, to sort of salvage from that and kind of had to restart. So, yeah, 
there's definitely yeah, um, <laughs> some possibilities of yeah. negative results that can't be saved. <laughs> yeah. But she was in a PhD. Like I mentioned, you get that when you're a master's. Like, mm-hmm. just... I think there's rules, though. Are you allowed to do a master's more than three years? It's three, or, three years max. Max. Yeah. Three years. And well, then, unless you have, and like, then you know, you're just kicked out too bad. You don't get a degree or what? I wonder. I yeah. don't know. I think it, I don't want to find out. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's that's an interesting idea. I feel like. Well, I think I think I, I want to give like my department the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. I think someone is really struggling at the end of year three. I would like to think about okay, like look, this guy's put a lot of work. Like obviously the results aren't there, but you can't speak to this person's work ethic, you know, mm-hmm. just because there aren't positive results. Yeah. You know, so I would like to think something positive comes of that, but yeah. you know, like maybe it doesn't. I really don't know anyone that's been in that situation. Yeah, I know for sure for masters, they emphasize, unlike a PhD, you can write your thesis without a groundbreaking finding. Yes. And in the pharmacology department, I think there are systems in place to keep you on track. So we have committees. I don't know if that's a thing in chemistry. Yeah, we have review committees every year. Yeah, Yeah, so you meet with your committee who basically keeps you on track and then at year one of your master's you sort of do a mini thesis defense so that was in may the beginning of may and then that basically gives you the go ahead in front of the whole department if if you're not doing well they meet with you and they tell you you need to work on this if you're doing great they'll let you fast track to a phd or you're just good enough to just keep going the way yeah this is what i had in uh for my program so Mm -hmm. for me it was kind of like a little bit the other side is just that I felt like just doing two years of the research I was doing was, you know, scraping the surface mm-hmm. and I thought it was kind of a waste. So mm-hmm. uh, so I decided to fast track to have more time and more resources sort of. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I had exactly that. Like I passed this like candidacy exam, which allowed me to pass. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. I mean, I think that's also like a, a big thing, you know, you come in and you're like, yeah, two years in and out, but then like, even where I am right now, like as, as time goes on, the more you become more and more attached to the thing you're doing. You yeah. know, it's like, this is my project. Look at all the things I have mm-hmm. done and to kind of just not throw it out the window, but to just kind of put it aside after two years and say, see, ya, I'm moving on. Yeah. I think becomes like harder and harder with time. And I think that's yeah. why you see a lot of fast track in a PhD. It's like, hey, it'd be really cool to see this, see this through, yeah. you know, like maybe not all the way to the end because the more questions you answer, the more questions come up, For right? Sure. Which is yeah. the cool part about science. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I feel like there's a little bit of like a lack of satisfaction at the end of a master's. Yeah, well, I, exactly how I feel, blood, sweat and tears and then thesis. And mm-hmm. so currently, like, I'm hoping to write a paper. So at least the world yeah. <laughs> or the, the pain world will <laughs> maybe have some no, kind of pain. new questions that open up new avenues so at least it wasn't in vain, so to speak. Because... Actually, I didn't think about that, but uh, it's pre- it's pretty ironic. You stay in the theme of pain, you know. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. We we, we subject, really embrace and then the it. The way you do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we embrace it fully. Yeah. If you're having drama and stuff, how how does the writing the paper go about? Yeah, I mean, there's been drama basically in every possible way. So. Uh, intellectual property, stealing ideas, lack of supervision, like all of these things are causing problems. So for me personally, writing the paper, there aren't any of these issues yet. (laughs) But definitely there are students in our lab that had issues and had to rethink 
I mean, they both have different opinions about how this went down. So I, I guess I can't speak for both of them at the same time. But one person anyways feels that the third chapter of the thesis was scooped from her and had to restart. So that really delayed her and that really impacted her writing. But for me, the drama hasn't impacted the writing so, so, so much. <laughs> yeah, just just more my morale <laughs> and wanting to go to work. Like our PI is always complaining that there's no one in the lab, but it's like, why would we want to show up if everyone's in tears by the end of the yeah, day? Yeah, there's not a good uh, general atmosphere. lab atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. yeah. Um, do you have any um, any advice maybe for people that would be dealing with the pressures and dramas and stuff, resources to go to? I have to to. one thing right off the top of my okay. head, but it's not so much what to do when you're dealing with the drama since I haven't quite figured that out myself yet, but how to maybe avoid it. Um, I would definitely recommend if you're looking for a lab to attend a lab meeting, meet with all the students in the lab yeah. and don't just take what they say at face value. See how genuine they are if they say, oh yeah, it's great. And I did attend a lab meeting and there was this really weird dynamic where the, the supervisor was talking and I was new and, and listening and smiling and nodding and all the PhD students were texting. And I was like, wow, these, these students are so rude. Like, their supervisor's talking and they're clearly not paying attention. But let's just say maybe some of those actions were justified. Um, and regardless, I should have just realized there's a lack of respect there. Whether yeah. those reasons are valid or not, there's not a very good learning environment. So if anything th seems weird, whether it can be justified or not, keep looking that would yeah, be my yeah. first I, advice yeah absolutely. i second that uh you know like talk to the students in the lab mm. and get to see them because professors at the end of the day like they're they're professional salesmen uh, i mean obviously <laughs> they're, not, they're not making an exorbitant <laughs> sum of money off of what they're doing but like they are selling their ideas and they're pitching their lab to you and some of them are really good mm -hmm. like they are really good i've met a bunch of profs like they talk to you and after that you're like wow that was awesome like uh, great and then you know like uh, you could end up a few months down the road like such as myself and then you know, things haven't worked out and you're like, wait a minute. That was exactly what I was talking about. You know, like this person is really good at convincing you to join their lab, you mm. know, and I think it's good to get multiple opinions. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Do you have in your department, do you have the uh, mentor system? Like with like somebody that's like exterior that supposedly has no relationship to your prof? Yeah, I think the supposedly is the key word <laughs> because ultimately everyone knows. So, yeah, we on our committee, one of the members is our advisor okay. and and mine is excellent. And I definitely feel like I could go to her with anything, but it's more for moral support. At the end of the day, I don't know how much they can really intervene on your behalf. Okay. And if that's going to cause professional sort of stresses on the relationship. Mm -hmm. So, because yeah. it'd be nice to have like something like that. I think a system, that's sort of what I have in my program, neuroscience, mm -hmm. because it's not a department, right? It's a program. So it spans many, many departments. So when they do assignment of mentor, mm -hmm. mentee, they make sure that the the mentor that you get assigned is not from the department of your professor, mm -hmm. like the way you're in. So they have like no relationship. There's no nothing that's that, that can go in between them yeah. so if they want you know 
if you're having a problem, they're going to vouch for you no matter what. So it could be interesting to have something that's just university-wide and having just interdepartmental... Well, actually, just to shout out one of the organizations, I guess, mm-hmm. that I participated in, it started in the pharmacology, actually my advisor started it, called Win for Science. And it, it was geared more towards women in science and those are other issues, but this new phase of the of the program has a mentoring thing and you sign up and it's in a it's not one on one, but it's one professional who meets with a few students that's been assigned to them. I think they meet once a month and you can say anything you want and it's all confidential and it's just a chance to get things off your chest and potentially get guidance so cool. win for science mentorship if anyone there, thinks they need it um excellent question i think it's in the works the okay. pharmacology page would have a link though okay yeah well, i'll put i'll put down a, a link on the description if there's a yeah i'll try to track it down to. very cool anything to add can i give some bad advice some bad advice. <laughs> sure. I'm really good at giving bad advice. Bad advice is time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think if there's one thing that I think has kept me, like, going, like, at certain points, mm-hmm. I think is, uh, I think it's really easy to remember, like, your bad results or your lack of results mm-hmm. and to let them get you down. Like, as humans, we're just really good at remembering negative experiences more than positive ones, I would say, right? Mm-hmm. So, I think my one piece of bad advice would be I don't know when something goes right, like just like cherish it and like actually like be happy and like you know like, if that if that's for you like doing a little dance or like I don't know mm-hmm. like having like your third coffee of the day for example, <laughs> like uh, like Replace do it, it like you. do it like <laughs> like take joy from that you know because if you don't then if you don't even take joy in like when things go well like well, what's left right yeah. because you are left with all those like you know like the crushing feeling of like oh crap my research isn't working and yeah. unfortunately research often doesn't work so. I don't know. Take the time to really, you know, uh, like, like find some joy in the things that go well is yeah. what I want to say. No, I think that's definitely not bad advice. I think that's that's really important. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I, I know personally <laughs> what has sort of prevented me from sort of getting bad results because my initial guidance really, well, there was none. So I was on my own in a sense, but I think also reaching out to to resources whether it's a student in the lab or neighboring labs who have the expertise you need most people if not all people are really really willing to help you and just here's an antibody you might need oh i've done this technique before and this Mm -hmm. works better and i think all those little tidbits can really add up and and save the day so don't be afraid to ask awesome (laughs) i love that you know, bringing up positivity to at the end, you know, <laughs> even though we're talking about bad stuff. So to lighten up the mood, actually. Yeah. Have uh, So, you know, still keeping on this idea of having a game. This is not really a game. Well, kind of. <laughs> just like every time I try something, this may be just not funny at all. And I might completely edit it out. But <laughs> I found something online in my many... I spent a lot of time just uh, losing myself on the internet. Don't tell my supervisor. Um, it's a beautiful place. <laughs> the internet. I found a random scientific article genera- uh, title generator. Oh. Uh, well, it says random academic <laughs> essay title generator. So basically, you type in your topic and... It basically uh, generates uh, 
a, a title with a bunch of random words and your topic in it. Cool. Uh, that so you know in the, in the classic way a, a title could be. Hmm. So all that I need you to do is to give me a topic. Okay, so should we do this like let's say with our own research for and example, see? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what could... I really need a title for my try? thesis, so oh, yeah? this okay. could be very useful. So what? Just like I just need like a one word or two word topic, like um, what's your, just like pain in rats. Yeah, osteoarthritis. Os- pain. Osteoarthritis. Let's see. Show me the magic. <laughs> <laughs> I hope someone got rich off of this idea. I can't find it. Oh, <laughs> concluding vein capitalism. Osteoarthritis in the savage. Oh, <laughs> well, it's definitely intense. Okay, right. <laughs> but it's just uh, it's that kind of stuff. <laughs> that yeah, I'm not saying the titles were good. I'm just well, <laughs> hmm. okay. Well, you you got to give it a shot. All right, yeah. Try with muscles. Yeah, let's, or, yeah. Or do marine muscles? I don't okay, know. Okay, marine muscles. Yeah, I think it go. might sound better. But let me that first that. one doesn't give me too much hope. <laughs> let's go. Altering willing nationalism. Satire and inversion in marine muscles. These are deep, right? <laughs> this is more They're like asking <laughs> more than uh, nationalism, <laughs> capitalism. <laughs> yeah. All right. What it's about sex a... differences? That's the other part uh, of my. Uh, that, that could actually make a meaningful thing because it looks like they're like sort of more politically engaged yeah. titles. Sex differences. Ah. <laughs> Encoding belligerent legacy. Hyper. Hyper baton. <laughs> what? what? Is that a real word? <laughs> Hyper baton and paraphrases in sex differences. Hyper baton. This is overwhelming. Can, can, can we? <laughs> right? Let's change like the geometry of the sentence. Yeah, yeah. Like, you can, can change. Uh, you can change the geometry. This is this was not a very good one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Find like a silly. All right, we we've been eating timbits, so let's find kind of research on timbits. Mm-hmm. Let's go. Inscription and alienation. Organizing the abject in timbits. Okay. Right. <laughs> the, you know, if there's one thing this game is doing, it's making me realize I don't know what a lot of words mean. <laughs> we need to get and a would, second degree right? in and literature. I would, like, I would like to think I've read a lot of books, you know, like growing up, like throughout my life, but like still have these. I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> yep. Hyper baton. <laughs> we'll bring it up in I can't our wait next to Google conversation. That when we get out of here. I think <laughs> there's one thing to be, one uh, lesson to be taken from this experience is don't randomly generate <laughs> your essay title. Someone can make a lot of money here. Yeah. I'll, I'll, put, really I'll, put the, I'll put the the website if you want to have a laugh. Uh, yeah. It's mostly just confusing more than funny. I think. <laughs> At least you learn some it's words. It's a great form of yeah. procrastination. Exactly. Yeah, I spent like an hour. Uh, <laughs> Call the whole lab. Everyone cycles around, generates a few titles. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, I think... This is the end. Is there if there's a shout out you want to give? But I guess you've already given a shout out to yeah, win for science. Win for science. Do you have anything anything else you want to shout out? Something, an event that's coming should, up. Should it, should it be like a person or organization? <laughs> oh, or anything, anything that you think people should hey, no, hear but, about. So, and, so no, we shout out like a, a good thing. So I'll shout out a good thing. Mm. I volunteer for this organization in Montreal called Centropole Roulant, which delivers food and like makes low cost meals for people that have limited mobility. And uh, I think it's a really great and awesome thing to do awesome. if you have some time to spare from your research. So, well, yeah. I mean, maybe I'll send you that link as well. Man. Yeah, yeah, we can put sure. that in the yeah, description. Down, but yeah, sure. Centropole Roulant. I-, I love it. It's a great community and uh, it's a great way to meet new people and see the city. It's related to the Café Centropole? No, they're completely unrelated. Their names are ident- <laughs> the names are really similar. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Right. Great. Well, uh, thank you so much 
for coming. It was uh, yet another awesome experience. Yeah, that was super fun. Even though it was a little, Got it was not heavy. the last positive, <laughs> but uh, I think we found some happiness in it. And yeah, I hope as a listener, us. you found some uh, positivity also. You're not alone. That's all I want to say if you're a researcher. <laughs> well, thanks. Thank you guys. And thanks, thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.